Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am Brandon Goldler here by myself. Uh, I maybe coordinated with Ryan to do this at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. It is 1110 on a Sunday, so we will just see if he loops back or what's going on. I will admit that I have been pretty busy, haven't been spending a lot of time uh, anytime on the podcast other than editing. So thank you to Ryan for picking up the slack and to Steve DeWald, who guested last episode. And then who was before that? Why am I forgetting? I am forgetting who the guest was the time before that. So that's my bad. Uh, but we are here to talk about the Blazers and specifically how the Blazers need to be losing right now. They've really got to dig deep, find that determination, that inner drive and that will to lose because it is incredibly and critically important at this point. We're sitting at March 20th and the Blazers are currently finding themselves in the seventh spot in the lottery odds sweepstakes. I'm gonna be bouncing around between a couple windows here. So if I stall for time or if I chunk out for a second, then that's my bad. But here's where things stand now. So we'll talk a little bit about why the Blazers need to lose, what it looks like uh, in the next few games coming up. And then we're gonna talk a little bit about draft picks, actually just specifically Chet Holmgren. Cause I know that's something that Steve and Ryan talked about the last episode. I wish I would have been there to argue for my boy Chet because I, I'm pretty excited about him and whatever team gets him, I think is going to be super, super lucky. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. So let's go back to the Blazers and the current landscape of the NBA and where the Blazers are and where they need to be. So Steve and Ryan did talk a little bit last episode about how the NBA draft lottery works. Uh, it has been reworked in recent years. So if you have not been keeping up with the NBA draft lottery rules and how things um, go odds and that stuff for the last couple of years, Things are a little bit different, so let me try to make it as succinct as I can. In the draft lottery, you have 14 teams. So the 14 worst teams in the NBA will be in the draft lottery. And those 14 teams all have a chance to get a top four pick. All of those 14 teams have different odds of getting, getting that pick. And if teams shuffle around, it can bump other teams down. So here's how the odds work as it stands right now. To get that top four pick, if you are one of the top three teams in the lottery odds, which means if you're one of the three worst teams, you have a 52% chance, a more than 50-50 chance of getting that top four pick. If you're the fourth worst team, it's 48%. And let me, let me go down the list here. Again, these are the percentages that you can get a top four pick. So if you're one through three worst teams, it's 52%. You're the fourth worst team, it's 48%. Fifth worst team is 42%. Sixth is 37%. Seventh is 32%. Eighth is 26%. The tongue twisters, uh, ninth is 20%. Tenth is 8%. And it's really getting skinny now. Um, 11th and 12th are about 8%. Uh, 13th is about 5%. And 14th is about a 3% chance of landing that top four pick. There are also odds that you could get the number one overall pick. But just for the purposes of keeping this you know, as unconfusing as possible, I know that especially on audio, it can be a little bit confusing running through numbers. We'll just stick with the chance of getting a top four pick. 
The Blazers currently find themselves at seventh. Okay, so they find themselves at seventh place, seventh. Let's say seventh best lottery odds. Again, this is like the seventh worst team in the NBA. But let's say let's say best lottery odds. We'll say that the higher is better. Okay, they're in seventh right now, with a 32% chance of getting that top four pick. Now the Blazers are currently, and this is where it gets really important for tonight on Sunday, March 20th. They are currently three games behind Indiana. Indiana in that odds race. So Indiana is at fifth, three games ahead of the Blazers. Uh, the Blazers are sitting at seventh. So here's the difference. And, and I will also say this too, that uh, the, the, the Blazers are not going to catch up with the top four teams. It just won't happen. They're too far away. They are currently uh, six and a half back of Oklahoma City, who's in fourth. That's just too much ground to make up. It won't happen. But the Blazers do have a chance to get all the way up to fifth best lottery odds. Okay. So if the Blazers stay where they are, if they stay at seventh, they will have a 32% chance of that top four pick. It's not totally out of the question. It's not bad. If they get all the way up to fifth, so if they catch Indiana, uh, by the way, they are playing Indiana tonight. Let's talk about that. But if the Blazers get all the way up to fifth place, they will have a 42% chance of that top four pick. The difference between seventh and and fifth is the difference between 32% and 42%. That is massive. And I would so here's what I would do. If you go to tankathon.com, they have an NBA draft lottery simulator, right? You can see the teams as they're currently ordered based on record, and you can hit, you know, simulate the lottery, and you can keep hitting that button over and over again. Look at the teams that pop up in that first four, okay? So uh, when you hit this over and over again, as I'm doing right now, you'll see occasionally teams jump up. Like, I don't know, like I just see the Kings jumped up, the Pacers jumped up, I hit it again, and uh, the Kings jumped up again, the Pacers jumped up again, the Kings jumped up again, the Pacers jumped up again. Wow, this is a broken record. Uh, Portland jumps up. So what you'll notice, though, is that the difference between 32 and 42 percent is actually pretty significant. If you have one shot, you have one simulation, right? You know, mom spaghetti, you only got one shot. You want the best odds possible, obviously, of getting this top four pick. And now that the lottery odds have been flattened more than they have been you know, a couple years ago, you don't need to be like the worst team in the NBA. In fact, there is absolutely no structural advantage to being either the worst, the second worst or third worst team in the NBA. And really that advantage, if you're fourth or fifth is, is pretty negligible ish. I mean, more so than in years past, right? Like it's flatter now. It's more likely that even if you're not like the absolute worst team, you have a chance at one of those top picks. It is so critical for the Blazers right now to be losing every possible game they can. I do not care if you want the Blazers to win because you support the team and you love the team and you want to see them win and you want like I, I, I'm being rude right now. I don't care if that's what you want because that's not what you should want because I, I mean, look, I want that too. I always want the Blazers to win. I have never been in a position where I've been actively rooting for the Blazers to lose. I've never felt that in my whole life until now, until today, it is so critically important that the Blazers lose as many games as possible. And tonight, is a perfect example of that. So uh, actually not tonight, this afternoon at 1230, we're recording. We, I am recording at 1115 in the AM. The Blazers are playing the Indiana Pacers. If the Blazers 
win this game, which we do not want them to do, then the Blazers will find themselves four games back of Indiana for that fifth best lottery spot. If the Blazers lose this game, which we do want them to do, they will only be two games back of that fifth lottery spot. That is a massive, massive swing. Those games are going to be almost impossible to make up. It's, it's, it's actually really annoying to say that like every game is a must win or every game is a must lose. We are really getting into the point where like nearly every single game coming up is a must lose situation. So as I'm looking again, it's March 20th. They haven't played Indiana yet. Here are the games remaining. They're playing Indiana today. Then they're playing Detroit, San Antonio, Houston, Houston, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, San Antonio, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Dallas, Utah. This is a really odd stretch of the season. And if th- this would be the stretch of the season if the Blazers were trying to win, they would be able to pick up many of these games. If, if in an alternate universe in which Damian Lillard weren't hurt, in which uh, basically that, right? If Damian Lillard weren't hurt and this Blazers team were gunning for wins, you could ostensibly see the Blazers win every last one of those games, Dallas and Utah, the last two games being the hardest by far. But all of those other teams, not New Orleans, but but basically all of those other teams are trying to lose. You could also make an argument for San Antonio that just institutionally they're not trying to lose because Greg Popovich wants to get more wins. I don't know. He already passed. Um, uh, he's, he's already the winningest coach in, in regular season history, so who knows? But. When you're looking at this schedule, I mean, these are all unfortunately very winnable games to the Blazers. Uh, and if the Blazers somehow manage to lose a large chunk of these games, they'll be in really good shape. Probably the most. So Houston. OK, so you have two parts of this, too, right? You have the Blazers losing as much as they can. That's definitely part of it. But so many of these games are also if the other team wins, then they get pushed up in those lottery odds. So let's talk about this two different ways. The Blazers losing and then the other team being pushed up. As far as the other team being pushed up, there are three teams on that list where it will not matter. The Detroit Pistons, the Houston Rockets, and the Oklahoma City Thunder. That makes up one, two, three, four, five of those games. It won't matter whether or not those teams win because the Blazers cannot catch them anyway functionally. Okay, so that those only matter from perspective of Blazers um, increasing their losses. Where it definitely does matter is with San Antonio, the Pelicans, definitely, definitely this Pacers game. Um, if you look at San Antonio, they are effectively tied with the Blazers right now. It is critical that the Blazers drop both of those games to the Spurs. Now, on the other side, you could, well, all three of them. On the other side, you could say that San Antonio, if they're really trying to lose, they feel the exact same way. Probably true. Then you go to the New Orleans Pelicans. This gets kind of complicated because remember, the Blazers will get the Pelicans draft pick unless it's in the top four or unless it is nowhere else in the lottery. If the, so if the Pelicans make the playoffs, the Blazers don't, do not get that pick. If the Pelicans somehow jump up in the top four, the Blazers do not get that pick. So the Blazers really need, at where the Pelicans are right now, they're so close to the play-in. Like, and the Lakers are trying to win, and they're not able to win. 
the, the Pelicans were rooting for losses right now, I think is where we're at. Although the Blazers only find themselves two and a half games ahead of them in the lottery race odds. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, first of all, the Blazers should lose all of these games. That would be best case scenario. Then it's like, okay, the ones against Houston and the ones against Oklahoma City matter slightly less because those teams getting wins won't do anything. The games that are absolutely critical are the Indiana game today, all three of those San Antonio games, and both of those New Orleans Pelicans games, those ones, if you're rooting for, you got to pick a handful to lose. Those are the ones you want them to lose because it both pushes the Blazers down. It pushes those other teams up, which increases the Blazers lottery odds. Now, Again, so much of this is outside of our control, right? It's the same thing as with free agency. It's the same thing as with the draft lottery. It's the same thing, frankly, with anything in basketball when we have a rooting interest in something. We don't have any control over it. I totally understand that. And there has been some criticism of people being like, I don't understand why you're rooting for losses. You can't control it anyway. Well, you can't control any of this. None of us can control any of this, right? Like, we don't have any say over whether, I don't know, I don't know why I'm talking like this. Oh, Mickey Mouse. We don't have any say over what happens here. So, the point is, when you're thinking of what you want to have happen, which is what we all do as fans anyway, because we don't actually impact the game, we want the Blazers to lose. We need them to lose. It's critically important. And in the case I would make, okay, Brandon, you've said over and over again how important it is. Why does it matter that much? The case I would make is this. Look at where the Blazers are heading into this summer. Damian Lillard is up for an extension. Damian Lillard had abdominal surgery. Damian Lillard didn't look like himself after the Olympics or even during the Olympics and didn't look like himself this season. Damian Lillard claimed after he had the surgery that he's been dealing with this for many, many years. And more than that, he claimed that now that he's recovering from the surgery, that he didn't actually realize how injured he was and that he believes that he is going to be physically in better shape than he has been in many years and that he believes his best years are ahead of him. Now, first of all, that's what a player coming off of an injury will say. It's very seldom you're going to hear a player come off an injury and be like, yeah, I'm not going to be as good. Like they're just not going to say that. And why would they? But it is true that Damian Lillard has been dealing with his injury for a long time. And so it's totally plausible that he could come back physically more, you know, able to, to move basically, right. than he has before and that he could look like the all NBA player that he's been for many, many years. So if that happens, that's the first part of when we're thinking about the Blazers future, that it matters. The second thing that I would say, the way I would construct this, and you can disagree with this if you want, is the Blazers should do everything they can to maximize Damian Lillard's prime. If you do believe he's going to come back as an all-NBA player, if you believe that his game will age well, if you believe that he has three or four more years of being maybe not quite, you know, like second-team all-NBA, but like close, like three or four years of that, then you, you kind of have to mash the pedal and, and, and get as much out of those years from Damian Lillard as you possibly can. Okay, we have that. Then you have that the Blazers have a number of players who look like legitimate, good rotation or above level players. And some of them have upside. So Josh Hart, he has been playing so well, you know, as the best player on this team with Anthony Simons being out, Damian Lillard being out, um, that at Nurkic being out, he's looked like the best player on a, on a, on a poor team, which is, you know, that's really good that, and he said himself, you know, I see myself, I, I know my place in the NBA. I see myself as a two and a half option, two and a half, right. Is what Josh Hart said. So Josh Hart is definitely 
you know, he's in his mid twenties. He's going to be um, just as good next year as this year, you know, barring something weird happening. So you got that. Anthony Simons was literally as the best player on the team before he went out with injury. He was looking like a right around an all star, a low all star level player. And he has upside. So maybe he comes back even better next year. That's insane. Nas little before he got hurt was looking like a legitimate rotation player, a super energy hustle can shoot like looking like a really, really good player. Yusuf Nurkic, when he was like the best ish player out there for a while, I mean, he single handedly got the Blazers wins that they didn't deserve and, and frankly probably shouldn't have gotten this year. If he continues to mature and the blade looks, it seems like the fact that he's sitting out, it kind of makes me think that there's like a wink nod between Blazers GM Joe Cronin and Nurkic's camp that they're going to offer him something this offseason. If he comes back and his, uh, you know, he's matured a little bit and he's still physically the same player. That's, that's a good piece too. Uh, and then you have these like weirdo question marks. I can't tell if they're just good because the blazers are so bad or if they're actually going to be good, but they are extremely young. So you have like, um, Trenton Watford who has been just again, looking, I mean, in a, in a team that has almost no like talent right now. Uh, and sorry, I, I said Trenton, it's Trendon. Uh, he has been looking like an NBA player, question mark. I don't know. He's six, eight, he's 21 years old. Uh, he's had a couple of games where he's had like, you know, 20 plus um, like 20 and seven, 20 and eight, something like that. And has looked like he belonged on an NBA court. I'm not saying he's going to be a starter for you, but like what a great piece to have coming off the bench next year. If you've stocked up on your talent, uh, Brandon Williams, uh, he's only six two, which is funny to say, cause it's like, I know another Brandon who's also six two, me, but pretty small for an NBA player, whatever he's six two. Uh, he's 22 years old. I'm not really sure how much room the Blazers have for like another short point guard, given they have Dame and Anthony Simons, but he's been getting like, you know, like 26 assists, like 26 and five. Uh, what's this one line that he played against Brooklyn? 37 minutes had 24, six and five with three steals in a block. It's like, I mean, could he be a rotation B player? Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, sure. Maybe, um, uh, you know, uh, th th there have been moments where Drew Eubanks has looked like a legit NBA player. I mean, go Oregon State, an undersized center, maybe a power forward, but he's also had a run of games where his numbers have looked really good. Now, all this is with a grain of salt because the Blazers have had virtually, and no offense to these guys, I'm not trying to put them down or anything, but have, very, have, have, have had very little talent on the floor, but they look like they belonged. Justice Winslow, in his time on the court, he has looked like he's belonged. Joe Ingles is someone who is old and injured and it, it sounds like he wants to come back to Portland next year, but like, boy, like even, you know, 90% or 85% of Joe Ingles would be a huge help to this team. The, I'm saying all this because when you look at next year with who the Blazers currently have on roster, they have a team that is like not a ton of like super high end talent, but is like deep. Um, that doesn't really win you playoff games, though. So then, so then we finally get back to why the Blazers need to lose so badly. So then you go to this. 
go go back to tankathon and hit that that sim button over and over again remember that when the new orleans pick lands in the top four the blazers don't get it remember if the if the pelicans make the postseason the blazers don't get it it is helpful that on tankathon they actually have the little thing that shows if new orleans pick lands in the top four it just says New Orleans. If it lands anywhere outside the top four, it says New Orleans and then an arrow pointing to Portland. So if the Blazers increase their lottery odds as much as humanly possible, then the Blazers are increasing their odds as much as humanly possible that they get a top four pick. And there, in my view, is generational talent in this draft. If you want to learn more kind of player by player, go back and listen to the last episode of We Like the Blazers that had uh, Steve DeWald and Ryan on it because they go through it really well. But I want to focus on one Chet Holmgren. Okay. So, uh, and I'm getting a little scattered. I have no notes. I'm doing this one take Jake, but, uh, the point being the difference between, for example, if the Blazers, let's say that they win too many games. Okay. The, the, the Blazers are actually only, let's take a look here. They are three games out. Well, let's say three and a half games out of being in 12th. So while if they lose the Pacers tonight, they'll only be two games back of fifth. They are also three and a half games out of 12th. And by the way, if they win today, not only are they further away from fifth, they are a half game closer to 12th. If the Blazers get 12th, then their odds of a top four pick are eight percent forget it it's probably not going to happen if the blazers stay right where they are at seventh it's 32 percent if the blazers get to fifth it's 42 percent that is a massive massive difference so again when you keep hitting the sim lottery button the reason why it's so important they lose these games imagine the roster i just talked about imagine damian lillard's better josh hart yusuf nurkic anthony simons nas little trenton watford brandon williams you know name the players like little bit of depth. They got some top end talent. They have some like, you know, especially with Ant and Nas, you have people who are ostensibly going to even get better, which is pretty exciting. Imagine that team. And then imagine the Blazers do too well and they end up getting like the 12th or the 11th pick. And then, you know, really bad luck. And the new Orleans pick lands in the top four. If the Blazers come out of this draft lottery with only the 12th pick or only the 11th pick or only the 10th pick, what do you have? You have this exact same team, everyone I just named, plus a player that won't be ready to contribute, probably a player that will probably never be the, you know, the odds say they probably won't ever be like a super high impact player. There's actually, I, I should have put, pulled this up, but you can look at historically, like based on where someone was drafted, the percentage uh, chance that they will be an all-star or all NBA or what have you. Um, and really, of course, the highest impact players are like in the top four, top five, top six. Uh, if the Blazers only get like a 12th, 11th or 10th pick out of this and, and, and luck falls the wrong way and they don't get the New Orleans pick, the Blazers essentially have the same team plus another draft pick who's not going to help. And also that draft pick is not worth very much to other teams too. They already know where the pick is going to land. It's not 
ultra super valuable. The the the, the mystique and, and the um the, the the shine of a first round pick is that oh it could be a top pick. So once the, the lotteries happen and you know that you're getting a tenth or eleventh or twelfth pick, teams are like, eh, that's all right. So then that closes the door. It 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 it, it maybe doesn't shut the door, but it definitely it, the hinges move like seventy degrees towards closing uh, on Joe Cronin being able to use that pick with a player to swing a trade to get someone who can help the Blazers right away and maximize Dame's prime. 10 minutes of getting to that point. But if the Blazers lose the games that they need to lose, maybe Josh Hart comes up with a bum ankle for a few. Like, I mean, I look, I would advocate that they pull anybody who they want to have rotation minutes next year, pull all of them and sit them down. Let the trend in Watford's and the Greg Brown's and the Brandon Williams's and the CJ Ellaby's of the world get their playing time. And, and I, I, that is what I would do. Okay. Because if the blazers do what they're supposed to do and lose a bunch of games, if they have a 40% chance of a top four pick, that's not guaranteeing they get a top four pick, but that's getting close to 50, 50. And then imagine that things go totally the right way. And like, I just hit the sim lottery and like, let's look at this scenario where the blazers get the first pick and new Orleans has the ninth pick. So now the blazers Instead of having the 12th or the 11th pick only, they now have the 9th and the 1st pick. The difference between those two scenarios is night and day, not only for being able to swing a trade, but also when you look at the top-end talent that is in this draft. Again, Stephen Ryan did a great job last episode breaking all the players down, but I wanted to give just a moment to give some shine to my boy, the person with whom I'm setting up on an island, Chet Holmgren. You may follow me at GoldnerPDX and notice my username is changed to Chet Holmgren Fan Club President. That's me because Chet Holmgren, in my view, is going to be an All-NBA player. Let me rephrase that. Chet Holmgren will be an All-NBA player, period. He's too talented. He's too coordinated. He's too smart. He's too tenacious to not be an all NBA player. Most of the criticism that I've heard about Chet Holmgren is about his body. Yes, he's seven feet tall. Yes, he weighs 195. No, that's not enough weight to play in the NBA. But he's a freshman. He's going to grow. And you can't teach coordination or speed or talent or tenacity or strength to weight or shooting or passing or dribbling. And he literally has all those skills. So when you look at Chet Holmgren, in my view, you're looking at an all NBA talent, maybe not exactly next year, but soon. And also you're looking at a player who, according to Steve on last episode, has one of the most lopsided block to foul ratios, like approaching that of Anthony Davis when he was in college. The fact that he gets so many blocks and doesn't foul, that's not just because he's tall. That's not just because he has he fast switch muscles. It's because of his coordination and his footwork and his positioning and his his intelligence. He filters you to places that you don't want to be as an offensive player and then blocks the shit out of you. Dude had like seven blocks last game. He had a bad game or two games ago. He had a bad game last game and still had four blocks. And the way he does it is by positioning and by speed and the fact that he's super tall. My view is... Next year, Chet Holmgren, even as thin as he is, is still going to be a deterrent around the rim that I in, like I don't even think you could question that. 
like the fit between him and Yusuf Nurkic is is odd. Uh, and, you know, I have said I don't think you should re-sign Yusuf Nurkic. I think you should let him go. Maybe the Blazers trade him. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe Chet Holmgren isn't ready to play, like, you know, starter-level minutes, and maybe he's, like, the backup big off the bench. And, by the way, there are plenty of minutes there because Yusuf Nurkic only plays, like, what, like 27, 28 minutes a game. But in my view, Chet Holmgren next year at a minimum – is someone who can shoot, is someone who can pass. He's a smart player. He has good vision. And he would probably be right away, even as thin as he is, at least a neutral, if not a slight positive on defense. And there's also the chance that he could be really good defensively immediately, despite him being skinny. So that's next year. To me, that is a player that the Blazers could take advantage of next year. I think he could play 15 to 20 minutes a game immediately next year. And again, yes, he's thin. I get that he's thin. Again, look at the highlights from last game when Gonzaga played Oh, uh, Memphis, uh, Penny Hardaway coaching that team. And yeah, like there was one play where Chet Holmgren got knocked out of the way. That's totally fair. But then there were like six plays where he completely schooled that dude who was like a hundred pounds heavier than him. He is faster than him. He was blocking the shit out of him. That's the player that is also going to show up in the NBA. And the biggest thing is what I would at, what I'd ask people to do before people create and my cat just we have a puzzle up on the table and he just jumped on the table and swished his tail and the piece anyway um r.i.p puzzle uh that oh what was i even saying chet holmgren's great uh oh i would ask people before they you know form a super strong opinion about him please don't just look at these couple of games that gonzaga is going to play in the tournament please go and look at game footage and, and and i think that this is a reasonable amount of time to spend and i don't think that this is like unattainable for people to do even if you're busy 10 minutes find footage game footage not highlights watch 10 minutes of game footage of chet holmgren playing again not highlights game footage Watch how he moves, watch his positioning, watch his rebounding, watch his defense, watch his shooting, watch his handles. I mean, that's the thing is that this dude is so tall and thin. I mean, he looks taller, you know, he, he looks like he's seven, six because of how thin he is, but his dribble for being that tall is like incredibly, incredibly stable. Um, and it's only going to get tighter over time. Just watch him play like and again, like the, the thing that that sold me on Chet Holmgren being an all NBA talent is that he's completely fearless, totally tenacious in the same way that we loved Zach Collins for like he would just like run into people and like he, he would take contact and all that stuff. Chet Holmgren does the same stuff, but he's more coordinated and he's a he's a much better player. It doesn't matter that he's 195 pounds if he's willing to use all 195 of that, those pounds effectively, which he does. There are highlights of him pushing people out of the way that weigh much more than him because he's tenacious and he has balance and he has speed and he has really good positioning. And yes, there are also highlights of him getting pushed out of the way because he's light. That's completely fair. But my thing is like, I mean, and I don't mean to compare them because they're both tall white dudes, but like the difference, like watching Myers Leonard play in college and all the way through his NBA career, he played super afraid. He played scared. He played scared of contact. He played scared of making mistakes. Uh, even when he would get big dunks, he almost looked like he felt guilty for doing it. 
Chet Holmgren doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care if he gets knocked over. He doesn't care if he looks dumb. He doesn't care. He'll run into you. It doesn't matter. Like, that's something that you you, you kind of, like, resiliency and, and power or, or like, t- tenaciousness or, or fearlessness is something you can develop, for sure. There's no doubt about that. I also think that there is an innate part of, like, you as a basketball player, if you're either afraid to take contact or not, it, it feels different. And I'll just, let me, let me make a personal anecdote and look, I am not a super talented basketball player, but I, you know, I, I played basketball my whole life and played organized basketball for a long time. So I can at least speak to like my personal experience and the mentality of like taking contact that for me, I, would go through these phases of being afraid to take contact and these, uh, and, and not being afraid to take contact. I remember really distinctly that, you know, even within a game, my mentality would switch back and forth. And I remember how it would feel like the, 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 the kind of the, the thought processes of your brain would go through the synapses that would be firing. For example, if a ball went up and you were trying to get a rebound, uh, the times when I was kind of afraid to roll my ankle or afraid to run into someone or afraid to get hit in the face and the times where I was not, I was literally just focused on the ball and like, how can I get in best position? And surprise, I played at my best when I was just focused on the ball and not worried about getting hit. And like, but that for me personally was something that would kind of wave in and out when you watch a player like Chet Holmgren. And when you watch a lot of NBA players who are fearless in that same way, you can tell that they don't struggle with that. You can tell that the entirety of their decision-making and their focus and their peripheral vision um, is has, has everything to do with, I know where I want to go and I'm going to try everything I can to get there. And it all happens so fast. And I'm, do, I'm not doing a good job explaining this, but when you think about like, take one basketball play, take a play in which you're on offense and your teammate shoots and the ball goes up and you're like, you want to get the rebound and the ball is up in the air and you're starting to like quickly make decisions in that half second that you have to like decide where to be. If you're all of your decisions are being filtered through, I'm afraid to get hit. You're going to move your body to protect yourself. You're going to get in a position where it's safe. You're going to be kind of looking around to see where, you know, an elbow might be flying and then the ball is doing something right. You, all those micro decisions you've made. And like, again, like a quarter of a second, half second have led to you being out of position. If you are totally fearless and the ball goes up, you're thinking about where you can get in front of someone where you can protect the space so that your opponent can't get the ball. You can think about where the ball is going. And like, it's, it's all of those micro decisions are being made and they all lead to you being in much better position a half second later. If you are completely and totally fearless and all of your decision making and your again, your peripheral vision and your fast twitch muscles and kind of the, the quick decisions you have to make because people are moving around on the court are all not being hampered by fear. If they're all not being affected by being afraid to get hit, then you get a player like Chet Holmgren who just looks fearless. You watch him play and you can see it. You can feel it. And that is the type of player that you want on your team. That is the type of player that you want on your team. He has it. Like I did my best to explain what I think it is as far as like fearlessness. And I didn't do a good job again. Maybe some notes would have helped here, but that is what he has that not all players have you know, he's always going to play hard. And I would also say like, I haven't done like a deep dive into like 
if someone's done like a think piece where they like went and like interviewed his family and friends and like, I'm sure that like someone from the athletic or, you know, is going to do that at some point if he gets drafted super high, which he's going to, um, I bet you what's going to come out is that he's also just like a relentless worker. I would not be surprised therefore that like part of work is like good sleep, good nutritional habits, good training habits, good weightlifting habits. I would not at all be surprised for Chet Holmgren to grow into his body because he's relentless. He cares about the game. He plays really hard and he takes all that stuff super seriously. So like, I mean, yes, there are players who've been very thin and tall and who have washed out in the league. There's no doubt about it. But I also think it's really wild when people are like, oh, yeah, he's Sean Bradley 2.0. Then you've never watched him play. You've never watched him play if you're comparing him to Sean Bradley, like tall and skinny. Yes, that's where the comparison ends. He's so coordinated. He's so fast. He's talented, balanced, fearless. He can shoot, pass, vision, rebound, block, the whole thing. So all of this is just to say the reason why I changed my name on Twitter to Chet Holmgren Fan Club President is because he will be, Chet Holmgren will be an all-NBA player. If the Blazers are lucky enough to have him on the board, when they pick, they need to pick him. There is no sense, in my view, of picking a player who has a more NBA-ready body to maybe slightly help your team a little bit more right now when most rookies are not even net positives right off the bat anyway, when you have all of this other depth on your team, when you can pick a player who can probably help a little bit next year and then can get much, much better. That's my view. That's my opinion. Take it or leave it. Um, and that, I think, is about it. I am looking to see. I put a call on Twitter in case anyone wanted to join me on here. And I don't think anyone's going to take me up on it, <laughs> which is completely fine. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. So, remember, you want... If you care about the Blazers next year and beyond for the next, I mean, depending on who they draft, this could affect the next five, eight, ten years more. You want the Blazers to lose. They are playing the Pacers at 1230. That's in 45 minutes. I really hope that by the time you listen to this podcast, they have lost that game because if the Blazers lose today, that's a really, really good thing. And by the way, Chet Holmgren is great. That is it for today. If you want to reach out to us, you can always do that at weliketheblazers.com. You can also find us on Twitter at liketheblazers. You can find me at goldnerpdx. You can find Ryan Whitledge at the witty Ryan. And that is it for now. I appreciate all of you. And again, one more time, like it's awkward for me to be rooting for the Blazers to lose, but that's where we are right now. And I'm okay with it. And I hope that you're okay with it too. But it doesn't mean that we don't support the team. Of course we do. That's just the way things go sometimes. I appreciate you all. Thanks for checking in. And until next time, go Blazers. <laughs> 